starting today a brand new series called The Book of Daniel. And uh, we got real creative with that title because we're going to be studying the book of Daniel. There you go. So uh, we, we, we've had a great time. We just finished our At The Movies series, and uh, we had a great time with that. But a few times a year, we love taking, uh, just, just, just taking a good bit of time and just studying books of the Bible with hopes that this would be something that would encourage you and, and give you some confidence that you can open up the Word on your own and study and, and grow and learn. We, we did this earlier this year with the book of Galatians, and I'm so excited to talk to you about the book of Daniel because even though the, the book of Daniel was written thousands of years ago, it is, of all the books in the scripture, it, it's like speaking to where we are today because the whole series is going to be based on this. How do we live godly in the middle of a shifting culture? And, and our culture is shifting. I don't know if you uh, just see that like I see that, but man, the way that, that my kids today, uh, the way what they're exposed to uh, versus what I was exposed to as a kid, and, I, and I'm only in my 30s, so uh, I, I can't imagine anyone who's older to see, the, to see the change that is taking place in our culture, in our morality, and how do we, how do we live for God in the middle of that? We've, we've called this series, uh, the, the tagline of it is how to live a stand-up life in a bow-down world. And there are a lot of, and what I mean by that, there's a lot of compromise that's taking place in our culture today. And, and what, is, what, what do we do about that? What do we do about that as Christians? What, what's the answer to all the things that's happening in our world today? And then also, are we living in the last days? Because half of the book of Daniel, the second half, and it's going to be what we're going to focus the second half of our series on, it's all about the vision of the end times. And so I don't know if you ever turned on the news lately and wondered, like, what is happening? Like, is it, you know, is it the end? Is it the end time? What does that even mean? I don't understand that. And we're, we're going to look. The book of Revelation quotes the book of Daniel more than any other book in the Bible. And so and it, what's amazing is what John, who wrote the book of Revelation, and what Daniel saw, they both saw the exact same thing. And we're going to get all into that. And it's, it's just really fascinating in how it relates to our, uh, our day and age today. But the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel, who was Daniel? Well, Daniel was one of the major prophets uh, in the Bible. And he was actually, if you were reading the Bible chronologically, we, we learned a few months ago that the Bible's not written, uh, the, the Bible's not put together chronologically like when we read it in the Old Testament, New Testament. It's, it's grouped together by types of book. So like history books, poetry books, uh, prophecy is gathered in one, um, the, in the major and minor prophets, not because of their importance, but because of the size of their books. Well, the book of Daniel is like this huge uh, prophecy, uh, and it, half of its history and then half of its prophecy. So it, it's, it's really, really interesting. And if you were studying and reading the Bible chronologically, it would be one of the last books of the Old Testament. It would be toward the end, near uh, when you have these years of silence before the New Testament comes along. So in, in the context of the book of Daniel is the people of God had been disobedient to God, and God kept warning them from prophet to prophet, hey, if you don't, uh, if, if you don't listen, I'm going to let you, if you don't want the world without me, like you don't want to follow my way, then you can have it and you'll just see how it works out. And, 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 and that's exactly what happened. They said through their actions, God, we don't need you. And so God just said, okay, well, good luck then. And they were uh, carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon in, in the middle of a very different culture. And, and let's just get right into it. Let's look right into it. The book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 1. If you're, uh, you, you could check out your notes if you're taking notes with us, but, or you can follow along on the screen. Daniel 1, 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring him some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well in, much like all the guys in this house this morning, right? Uh, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after after that, they were going to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So what happened, because the people of God didn't listen to God, they were overtaken by King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, and they're taken away. and, And God names these four young men, Men, these young men that had potential, that were leaders, like, uh, and he, he, he names them Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and he specifically talks about them, and he says, hey, these were some of the guys that the enemy said, man, I want them to serve in my kingdom. And I, I find it interesting. He, he wanted the best of the best to be in their kingdom. And, and here's... There's one thing that both God and the devil agree on, and that's the value that you have in their kingdom. Like like the value that you have in their kingdom. They want you in their kingdom, both God and the enemy, because because they see the value that you have. And and, and I want to say this. Maybe you are in a season of your life where you're being attacked by the enemy. Understand, it only should show the value that you have. Because God's got a good purpose and plan for your life, even though the enemy wants you. But God can still use you no matter what. And, and, and Daniel and these guys had a huge decision to make. Because part of this deal was that they were supposed to eat food that was called the king's meat. This was, uh, and there was a problem with that because part of the Jewish dietary law is that they were not supposed to eat anything that was sacrificed to idols. And, and, and so, in other words, this food was literally used in idol worship, and they would, they would eat the food after it was involved in idol worship. And this was something that was so against what God's, what, what God's requirement and what God asked of these people. And they had a choice to make. They're in a new land. They're in a new culture. And the question is, am I going to be like God called me to be when we were in Jerusalem, what the word said, or am I going to be like the culture all around me? And... and, and and, and it's, it's, it's if to say this, that when culture shifts, will you shift? Because here's the first truth I want to show you today, is that culture changes, but God doesn't change. That culture around us is constantly shifting and changing, and there's all kinds of different ideas, what's right and what's wrong. And, and the book of Daniel shows us that something can be culturally right, but spiritually wrong. That, that, that there could be people all around you saying, oh, it's okay, this is what everybody else is doing. And, and, and this is what everybody else is doing. How many had a mom like I did that said, when, you know, whenever I wanted to do something, I'd say, well, mom, everybody else is doing it. And she said, well, I don't care if everybody else is doing it. If everybody else drives off a cliff, are you going to drive off a cliff? Too? You know, anybody had a mom like that? Yeah, and, 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 and here's the reality, that culture changes, but God doesn't change. That God does not change. And the question is, what are we doing today in the middle of a cultural changes that are taking place, laws that are being passed 
influential people that are saying that this is how you should live or this is how you should have relationships or this is how you should do money or this is how. Um, but, but how are we going to deal when culture changes? Watch what happens next. Daniel 1.7 says, The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And, and what we see in this passage is we see what culture does. And it's amazing. This was written thousands of years ago, but it's the same thing that our culture is doing today. It's simply this, if you're taking notes, when culture shifts, it will try to do three things. It will try to claim you, it will try to tame you, and it will try to name you, try to rename you. It'll try to claim you for its own. That's, you, you, you're not... A, a, a follower of God anymore. I'm claiming you for my own. That's what culture is trying to say. doesn't matter what everyone else has done. I'm claiming you for my own. Maybe you're a student that's here today in the middle of shifting culture, maybe on your college campus or on your high school or middle school campus. And this is what culture is trying to do, trying to say, oh, that may be what your parents do. That may be what you do on Sunday morning. But, when, but, 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 but I have a name that I want to give you. That's what culture is trying to say. And watch what happens. This is, this is freaky. Daniel, this is what Daniel's name meant. Daniel meant simply this, God is my judge. That's what the name, because the, the renaming that culture is wanting to do on us is a direct um, attack against the God-given destiny that's on your life. You know that? that, that you're not an accident, but you're created by Almighty God. There's not a person in here, young or old, that is an accident, but God created you and made you and formed you and planned you to glorify his name. Uh, I love what Jeremiah 29, 11 says, that I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and prosperity to give you an expected in a future and a hope. That's what God has for you. Daniel's name meant God is my judge, but watch what culture puts on him, and this is, this is surreal. It says, uh, they changed his name to Belshazzar, and Belshazzar means lady, protect the king. It was a feminine name. The attack was, was on his identity. The attack specifically was on his gender identity. Not much has changed. And here's the focus. Focus from God to man. That culture wants to take your focus off God, that you're in a relationship with God, and put it all about people. Put it all on the people around you. Put it all on pleasing everybody else around you. So afraid to be different. So afraid to, to, to disrupt people because your life is defined by people instead of being defined by God. Here's the second one. Hananiah. Hananiah meant this. Yahweh has been gracious. God, you've been so good to me. And they changed his name to Shadrach, which means this. I am fearful of God. And here's the focus difference, that, that, that culture wanted to take the focus from God is good to God is bad. Man, that's the same thing that's happening today. This, 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 this God, when you serve God, it's like this restrictive way to live, this archaic way to live your life. You know, God is bad. He, he can't wait to hurt you or harm you or keep something good from you. That's what culture is saying. Mishael. Mishael means this, who is what God is, like glorifying God, who is what God is. Meshach means this, I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. Man, if that's not 
an attack on the destiny. See, Mishael's this, this man, God is good, God is great, and it changes the focus to the greatness of God, to, to my own inadequacies, to I'm not enough, to I, I'm contemptible, I've made too many mistakes for God to love me. Some of us are in this house today. You feel like God couldn't love me because of mistakes that I've made, because of problems that I have. I'm despised. I'm contemptible. I'm humiliated. This is what culture tries to do to the church today. Well, just you, you just stay in your church buildings because, you know, stay out of every other arena. Because you just stay, just, just stay behind the scenes. You just stay quiet. You just stay where you are. Uh, just church, just be quiet instead of rising up and being the church that God's called us to be, you know, separation of church and state. I like to say this, that, that separation of church and state was not put in place to keep the church out of the state. It was, it was set in place to keep the state out of the church because we, this nation was formed so that people could stand and lift up the name of Jesus and worship in freedom and to serve God. But what the culture wants us to do is just, oh, you just Christian, just be quiet instead of rising up and being what God's called us to be. And the focus changes, focus from confidence to cowardice. You just be quiet. You just, you, you just blend in with everybody at school or everybody at the office. Just, just, just be a coward. Be, be cowardly. That's what culture wants to do. Azariah simply means this. Yahweh has helped. God's been good. God's helped me. Abednego means this servant of Nebo, which was one of their false gods. And the, and, and the focus changes this to focus from being a son to being a slave. From being a son of God to being a slave to the world, to being a slave to the circumstance around you, from being a son to a slave. But that's not what culture tries to do. Church, that's why it's so important to understand your identity in Christ. To understand who you are. Not long after we planted this church, I had went to a conference in Birmingham, and after one of the sessions, a bunch of, a bunch of friends uh, we, a bunch of friends uh, and I went out together and we were all eating dinner together and they had, a lot of them had planted churches as well. And I had a, I was talking to one of them. I said, man, if you could do anything different, uh, you know, we were a few months, if you could do anything different at the beginning when you started your church, what would you do different? You know, and I'm, I'm ready to write something down. I was, I was in the zone. I was ready to learn some kind of a, you know, church planting tip or something like that. And, and he, he just looked at me and he said, Brandon, I would live every day realizing that I'm a beloved son of God. And I was like, no, really, what would you do? Like, what would you do? <laughs> but man, those words have rang in my ears. Because church, we're sons and daughters of the king. We're not who, we're not what we do. We're not valued by, by, by what we do. Our value comes from who we are. And that's why as a church, we want to help you find your identity in Christ. That's why this whole church is structured so that we could help you find your identity in Christ. That's why we do small groups all over the city, all days of the week. Because whenever you're going through something, you need somebody that can affirm the God-given identity in you in the middle of your storm. 
You need somebody that could say, that's not who you are. That's just what's happening to you. That's just what culture's telling you because you're a son and daughter of the king. Like God's put greatness on your life. That's why we need to know our identity. That's why we do something every, the first and second weeks of every month called Next Steps. The first, it'll happen next week if you're new. But we, we have Next Steps to help you identify this purpose that God's put deep down inside of you and live it out because when you're living out your purpose, you can say, you know what, devil? I'm not a slave to my, to, to my appetites. I'm not a slave to the world around me. I'm a son of God. And God's got great things he's going to do through my life. I, I, I love it. You know our identity in Christ. And, and watch what Daniel does in verse 8, Daniel 1.8. But Daniel resolved. If you're taking notes, circle that, underline that. But Daniel resolved. If I, I grew up uh, learning the King James, and it says this, but Daniel purposed in his heart. I love that. He had a purpose in his heart. He had, a re- he, had a, he had resolved in his spirit not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. But he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. You see, Daniel had something in him that said, it doesn't matter what everybody else around me is doing. I'm going to serve God. It doesn't matter. See, see, I'd always envisioned this in my mind as if he was like surrounded in these classes and all this teaching by all these Babylonian teenagers along with him. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says it's just a bunch of Jewish kids, a bunch of Hebrew kids that were together. And, and, and Daniel could have easily said, well, I know him and we're from the same hometown and we went to school together back in Jerusalem and, and they're doing it. So, you know, I can do it too. But Daniel had this resolve inside of him that said, you know what, no matter what anybody else does, I, I can't do that. No matter what anybody else says, I, I have to serve the Lord. And here's why. Because Daniel had one of these. Daniel had a guardrail in his life. Daniel had a guardrail. How did Daniel do it? How did Daniel live for God whenever People around him weren't living for God because Daniel had a guardrail in his life. Whenever you came to church today, you probably didn't look, at, look for it or notice that many of them, but your whole way coming here this morning was directed by guardrails. You'll probably notice it as you go home today. Look at all the guardrails all around you. What is a guardrail? A guardrail is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. It's a system on our roads designed to help us not stray into dangerous and off-limit areas. And here's about guardrails. Guardrails are mainly on bridges, medians, and curves. Bridges, when you're going from one body of land to another and you could easily go off the bridge, there's a guardrail there. Any kind of medium, whenever there's oncoming traffic to, to keep the traffic from you or to keep you from the, the traffic, of, there's, a, there's a guardrail in the medium there. Or, or maybe a curve, a sudden shift or a sudden change in the road, there's going to be a guardrail there. Here's another fact about guardrails. Guardrails are always placed in the safe zone, never in the danger zone. You know, on that bridge, you could easily drive closer to the edge if you wanted to, but the guardrail is always placed in the safety zone instead of in the danger zone. It's never placed on the danger zone. It's always placed in the safe zone. You could, you could drive a little closer if you wanted to. Guardrails direct us. Guardrails protect us. And here's the reality. Guardrails are designed to minimize damage. In other words, if you hit a guardrail 
in your car on the way home today, your car's going to probably need some work, right? But you're going to be okay. Your kids are going to be okay. Your family's going to be okay because you can hit a guardrail and you can still be okay. That's what they're for. And I, I want to submit to you this morning that we need guardrails in more than just the roads that we travel on. We need guardrails in our life. We need guardrails in our businesses. We need guardrails in our morality. We need guardrails in our relationship with God. We need guardrails in the way that we have relationships with others. We need guardrails, singles, in the way that we date. Married people, we need guardrails in the way that we have relationships with people of the opposite sex. We need guardrails in the way of our finances. And, and, and my, prayer to, my, my prayer has been all week long that, that the Holy Spirit would speak to somebody today about a specific guardrail that it's time for your life to put in there. Because I'll tell you what, this service and this series and this, this church is not about, we're not a don't stop, quit, stop, stop. That's not what this message is. Uh, I'm not just going to get up here and give you a list of things that, oh, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and everybody go home and come back next week. I'll tell you what you can't do next week too. You know, that's, that's not what this church is going to be about because I believe the Holy Spirit does a lot better job of leading and guiding our lives than I ever could. And so my job and goal is to get you in the Word and get you connected to the Holy Spirit and let God speak to you about the decisions and choices that we make and get some guardrails in our life. If you are taking notes today, simply this. Here's what my prayer is. Guardrails, or if you want to use the word convictions, simply this, a standard of personal behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. That when you do something, you have a standard of personal behavior that for you it's part of your conscience. What I've learned about the conscience is the more you... The more you ignore it, the easier it is to ignore. But the more we allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives, the more there are things that become a matter of conscience. And then that, that way in any relationship, I've been married going on 12 years now, and I can pretty much go to a restaurant and order what my wife wants and get it pretty close after 12 years. Why? Why? Because I know her, and and, and we're we're closer today than we've ever been before. And you know, it, it, it's it's saying something. And if your walk with God, you're not any closer to God today than you were five years ago or ten years ago. There should be this deepening of you knowing what God doesn't like and what God does like, and and this intimacy of of living with Him, where you have a conscience, and it's changing the way that you're living, changing the way. That you're living in. And here's the reality about our culture. But the problem is that culture does not encourage guardrails. As a matter of fact, our culture ridicules guardrails. Our culture makes fun of people that have guardrails. And, and, then, and then what happens after they make fun of somebody for a guardrail, then when the person has a wreck morally, financially, emotionally, when someone has a wreck, then they, then they make fun of them. And then, then they point fingers at that person, right? The culture doesn't encourage guardrails because culture is content with painted lines. Culture just says, well, just let's give you some good guidelines. They say things like, well, don't have sex till you're ready. Um, what, what does that mean? Uh, you tell a teenage boy, don't have sex till you're ready. He says, I was born ready, preacher. You know, like, <laughs> like you, know, just, you know, just there's a lot of things in our culture, you know, that are just guidelines. But, 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 but they're just painted lines. They're, they're guidelines, but they're not guardrails. And, and, and church, there's a big difference between a guideline and a guardrail. Culture has some, and, and, and guidelines like this, follow your heart. Follow your heart. And that sounds so right. How many songs have been written about that? You know, 
listen to your heart, you know, all that, you know, all, all the things about your heart. But, you know, it's, it's deer season, and there's some poor deer out in the field following his heart right now as we speak, and he's about to become a trophy in somebody's, on somebody's wall, right, because he's listening to his heart. All the calls, all the scents, it's all built for that brother to listen to his heart all the way to boom, and then he's on somebody's wall, right? Listen to your heart is a terrible way to live your life. Listen to your heart is terrible. Guidelines are good, but guardrails are better. Guardrails are the way to live. Here's an example of this, the Billy Graham rule. The Billy Graham rule. Back in the 60s and 70s, it became known that Billy Graham had a rule that he would not, be, uh, he would not ride in the car alone with uh, another woman that was not his wife or a family member. Um, he would not um, eat at a dinner with or have a meeting behind closed doors with uh, a woman that was not his wife or a family member. And this is just the way he, he lived. If he, was, if he was staying at a hotel, uh, Billy Graham would have someone go in the hotel in front of him. Uh, he would never walk into a hotel room alone um, because he, would, he, he was afraid that someone trying to hurt his integrity would, 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 would have sent someone in there and have cameras and be able to um, defame his integrity. So he would always send someone ahead of him so that whenever he would, so that he would never even appear to be alone with another woman that was not his wife. And people used to ridicule him and make fun of him because of it. And, and, and the reason I'm talking about it is because it came up again. I was reminded of it this year. Back in May, uh, it was known that our vice president, Mike Pence, uh, does the same thing. He doesn't meet with and behind closed doors, eat with, travel alone with um, uh, women that are not his wife. And man, people just lit him up about this. They were so, you know, I can't believe this. This is hurting women in the workforce, all of these things that were happening. And the Harvard Business Review came out with an article, and here's the article title, Men Shouldn't Refuse to Be Alone with Female Colleagues. So that just lets you know what they thought about his uh, guardrail there. Um, but, 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 you know, that they, they in the article, which is a well-written article, but what, what they say throughout the article is um, that, yes, there is obviously something that goes on or could go on or when in the emotional stress of work and traveling alone with and in the hotel rooms and um, all of those things that happen in the workplace, they say, you know, that, 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 yeah, that could kind of something maybe happen. So, yeah, there should be some kind of a guideline, I guess. And here's, here's, what, here's what they said. Here, quoting the Harvard Business Review, he says, uh, so what's an evolved male leader to do? In the simplest terms, become what we call a thoughtful caveman. So that's... that's there you go, guys. Be a thoughtful caveman. And then it goes on to say, for healthy, mature, self-aware men, uh, understand and accept their distinctly male neural architecture, to which I don't even understand that statement. I don't believe. And then the other question, ladies, you can answer this. How many healthy, mature, self-aware men are out there, right? You say, well, help me find one. I want to find one, right? You know, I mean, that's guys. I'll speak... For us, you know, these guys, these healthy, mature, self-aware, perfect guys, got it all together. They don't need guardrails. But the other 99.9999% of us, we need some help along the way. 
But, but this is what culture, I just want to show you that as an example because this is what culture is saying. I just, you just, you're a healthy, and that's the assumption, that that's what you are. You're kind of the healthy, mature, self-aware man, and you understand, you, you, just, you just understand your own brain. That, that's what you do, guys, and it's all cool, it's all good. Don't worry about the guardrail. Just, just have a little guideline. It's, it's, it's no big deal. But then what happens whenever the healthy, mature, self-aware man gets in a wreck in their lives? You see, guardrails make a difference. If you opt for guardrails, you may not be celebrated, but you will have fewer regrets. And my prayer today is that God would just speak to us. God, God, what are you saying to me? What's my, because it's easy to kind of get in a book of the Bible like Daniel that's dealing with things like food and, you know, food sacrifice to idols and it doesn't really connect with us on our day-to-day basis. But what's that thing for us, the guardrails that are in our lives that God's calling us to? Here's what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.15. He says, be careful then how you live. Don't live as unwise, but live as wise people, if you're taking notes, underline that. Making most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. He, he, he's literally saying, this like what I say about driving. I'm not really worried about my driving. I'm worried about everybody else driving around me, right? Defensive driving. And he's saying, hey, hey, there's all kinds of ideas coming to us from our culture constantly. And he's saying, the decision-making litmus test for your life needs to be wisdom. Wisdom needs to be the decision-making a litmus test for, for, for what we do and, and how we do it and how we go about our marriages and how we go about our families and how we go about in our business, how we go about at work, how we do these things that we would pray that they're for wisdom, not just what's right or wrong, but, but what's the wise thing to do. I want to share something with you, and I, I hope soon to do a whole series on this one question, but Andy Stanley, pastor from, uh, from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, wrote a book called The Best Question Ever, and I'm going to give you the, and you don't get the best question ever unless you buy the book, but I'm going to help you guys out today. The best question ever is simply this. I think it's so good. In light of my past experience, my current circumstance, my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? This is the litmus test for how we make the decisions in a culture that's going in all kinds of different directions. We make the decision by saying, okay, God, in light of my past experience, what, what I've done, in other words, it's not about somebody else and what they're doing, but it's, it's my past experience. In light of my current circumstances, in light of my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing for me to do right now, God? I promise you, if you start asking that question on an ongoing basis, it'll change the way that you make wise decisions in your life. He, he goes on to say, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he starts giving us an illustration about uh, one thing leads to another and choices that we made. He says, so don't get drunk on wine. What he's saying is he's saying there are certain things in our lives, if we don't have guardrails in those areas, one thing leads to another. And he's simply saying this, that there are certain areas that we need guardrails in so that the guardrail is the one thing that keeps us from another thing. He says, don't get drunk on wine because it leads somewhere. And if I could, if you take the wine part out and take this specific illustration out of what Paul's saying, but if you could just roll with me mentally, if you just said, if you just said, don't get drunk because it leads to, 
What would you say in your mind it leads to? It leads to somewhere. It leads to something. He, he, he describes it. It leads to debauchery. In other words, excess. It leads to something where you're out of control in your life. He said, instead, be filled with the Spirit. The Apostle Paul is using alcohol as, as, as an example to us, saying there needs to be certain areas of our lives. For him, getting drunk was a guardrail. What he's teaching us, it's a guardrail. And, and he's saying, because that is something that's leading to another place. I bet in, under the sound of my voice, there are people here today that if somebody in your family had a guardrail that they were not going to be intoxicated, that your life would be different today because of it. Because one thing leads to another. And he's saying, hey, anything in your life that would intoxicate you and take you away from the things of God and and, and not be controlled by and filled by the Spirit, he says, "You you need to get some guardrails and understand that God's God." Um, wants you to live a life that's filled with the Spirit, full of joy, not where you have a wreck along the way. So what happens to our friends, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah? Since at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nursed than all the young men who ate the royal food. So these guys who had conviction, these guys who said, well, everybody else can do that, but you know what? I have some guardrails that God's dealing with me about that I'm not going to do that. He says, they looked better and they looked healthier than everybody else. He said, so the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and he gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented him, them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Guys, the enemy will tell you when you have convictions that you're missing out on something. Students, the enemy will tell you when you go to that part, when you don't go to that party, you're missing out on something. When you don't do what all your friends are doing, you're missing out on something. But I want to tell you that because of their convictions, God blessed them in such a way that they didn't miss out on anything. But the reality is, is that they entered the king's service and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, enchanters in his whole kingdom. Church, the ways of God are 10 times better than anything else around us. The ways of God, 10 times better. Having conviction, being willing to put up some guardrails in whatever area of your life that God speaks to you in through his word and through his spirit. It's 10 times better than what the world would say. So I have two questions for you to pray through. Here's the first one. What is my God-given identity? What is my God-given identity? What name did God put on my life? You know, when you have a kid, you get the privilege of putting a name on that child. There's something... Whenever those of you that are parents, you'll understand this. There's something about when your kid learns his own name. There's something awesome about that. 
because you gave that to him. I can't imagine how it feels to our God that when he created us, he put an identity inside of us. And when we get a hold of our God-given identity, the world, just the culture around us has, has, has no pull on us. You see, Daniel never forgot his true identity. We don't call it the book of Belshazzar. It's called the book of Daniel because that's the identity that God put on his life. So as we, we're about to sing a song before we leave this morning, as we do, I want you to pray, Holy Spirit, what's, what's my God-given identity? What identity did you put on my life? And here's the second question I want you to ask God this morning. What guardrails do I need to establish in my life? What are the guardrails? What are the things that God is saying, hey, for you, it's a guardrail. What's the thing the Holy Spirit's bringing some conviction on your life to say, hey, 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 man, I need to put some distance. I need to put something in the safe zone that becomes a matter of conscience in my life because God will use The whole purpose was that God was going to use Daniel to change the whole kingdom. And we're going to study that over the next few weeks. That God used this one man, this one teenager, with a guardrail, with a conviction. And he used him to change the whole kingdom. So this series is not about saying, oh, look how bad the culture is. This series is all about, look how great our God is. And look at the difference that we can make whenever we'll stand up for him, even when we stand alone. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much Lord, for this time together in your word. Lord, thank you that you have an identity that you put on our lives. Lord, that's not our circumstance. It's not our problem. It's not our pain. It's not what we're going through, God, but you have a purpose that's beyond imagination a calling on our lives. Holy Spirit, would you speak to hearts and lives this morning about our true identity in Christ? And Lord, I pray that you would help us establish some guardrails that would keep us from being a statistic in our culture today. Lord, help us not to be hungry for the approval of people. God, help us to be desperate for your approval in our lives more than anybody else's. So speak to us today, God. We just love you and we thank you for what you're doing in and through our lives.